Welcome to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series features founders, investors, and legal talent that will help you embrace technology and transform your organization for a better future. This series is hosted by Natalie Pierce, the chair of Gunderson Detmer's Labor and Employment Law Practice. Natalie and her guests are committed to helping you develop new playbooks to elevate your game. Hey, this is Natalie, and it is so wonderful to be here with Mandy Price. She is the co-founder and CEO of Canaries. Canaries is a technology platform that fosters collaboration between companies and employees to improve their diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, we know, because the research shows it, that companies that prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion have better retention, more satisfied employees, more innovation, and better financial returns. Our future work playbook season is dedicated to the theme of return to the workplace. So this discussion with Mandy is an excellent opportunity for us to learn how organizations can optimize their DEI efforts upon return to the workplace. Mandy, thank you, welcome. (laughs) We're so happy that you're able to join us today. It's wonderful to speak with you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Great. So to get us started, Mandy, can you please tell our audience a little bit about Canaries and your path to becoming its co-founder and CEO? Yeah, sure. So Canaries is a technology company that's focused solely on providing the tools organizations need to create that long-term systemic change around diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges. Our platform provides the framework, benchmarking, and data. So organizations can really incorporate best-in-class DEI into every area of their organization. So we do that by doing assessments, not only with employees. So employees are vital and really able to help drive the strategy and the in the change around DEI, but we also provide systems assessments for organizations as far as how their talent acquisition process or their performance management or pay practices, all those things we know that the way an organization is operating has an effect, right, from a DEI perspective. And so how do we ensure that we're putting in those research-based processes and procedures to help promote inclusion and equity within the workplace. So those are the kind of assessments that we do with our software. And we have all kinds of benchmarking capabilities as well. What we saw is that although many areas of organizations rely on KPIs and metrics and analytics, that wasn't the same for diversity, equity, inclusion. When we think about sales or marketing or finance, They've had all types of resources and benchmarkings and systems that they've been able to utilize. And we're providing that same type of analytics to HR and DI professionals. Oh, wow. I love that approach to it. Like, (laughs) hey, you know, we know how to measure. Let's let's use some of the measurements that have worked in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Natalie, I know you also asked about how did I come to lead up Canaries and be one of the co-founders of the company. I, I, and so please, oh, go ahead. you must know, I insist <laughs> because I, I love your story so much, Mandy. So yes, please share. So I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. I was a lawyer. I practiced law for 12 years. I was a partner at a law firm. And so a lot of my experiences come from the challenges that I had 
but then also, you know, I was very, very involved with my law firm's diversity initiatives. So I was on the diversity committee and the hiring committee and was on the women's task force. And so saw the way that organizations were approaching this. And I knew that our law firm was very well intentioned and wanted to be best in class, but just kind of struggled on having that resources and the data and the information that they needed. And so even though I started working on these issues when I was at my law firm, I really started this work much earlier when I was even a student at the University of Texas at Austin. And that's where me and the rest of my co-founders all met each other. Yeah. We all met each other at the University of Texas at Austin. And while I was a student there, I was actually appointed to the Racial Respect and Fairness Task Force that was put in place by President Faulkner. Our campus was going through a lot of issues that many campuses go through. We had an MLK statue. It was getting, it got egged several times. And so they put forth this task force where I was one of the four student representatives. And ultimately that task force created the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement at UT Austin and the equivalent of a chief diversity officer. And so this is something that has been a passion of mine for a really long time. Same thing when I went to, subsequently went to Harvard Law School. I did a lot of research at the Harvard Civil Rights Project. And I just always really wanted to rely on the data and the research that told us how to address these systems, right? I think for so long in what we've seen previous to COVID, right, and, and definitely previous to the murder of George Floyd, is that a lot of the analysis around systems and systemic racism or any kind of systemic inequities wasn't really wide stream or mainstream approach. Right. Um, it was something that people that were practitioners or academics really, you know, leaned into. But what we're seeing now is that general public discourse really understands that the way we have our systems and our policies and our procedures lead to certain outcomes. And how do we ensure that we are really being intentional with our DEI in order to have those inclusive and equitable workplaces that everyone wants? No question. And I, I really think also as a practicing attorney, I think about what that must have been like to make that kind of pivot. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I, I really recognize that your previous experience as a practicing attorney has in so many ways kind of shaped the directions that you've taken with Canaries. So what can you tell our audience about that experience as a practicing attorney that that has been woven into what is now this incredible company you've founded? I think because I was an M&A attorney, I had a good sense of all the components that are needed to mm -hmm. build a business. You know, a lot of times, especially because I don't have a technical background, I get questions on, well, how can you build a tech company if you don't have a tech background? Mm -hmm. But being an entrepreneur, you have to learn so much. And so just like I had to learn about tech, I had to learn about a lot of different areas. And I think because I had helped so many other CEOs and CFOs buy and sell companies, I really had a good understanding of all the components that are needed to build a business and that you really need to think about. So even when you think of our name Canaries, right? We definitely wanted to have the name Canaries, but the kind of unique spelling of it isn't something that we initially, you know, we weren't 
hip and trendy by using that. We <laughs> looked at the IP searches and did trademark searches and said, okay, well, how can we protect that IP in that manner? And so we spelled it this way because it's the only way we could get it trademarked. Well, and so I think a yeah. lot of that thought process are things that we, you know, our experience as lawyers trained us to do. Go ahead, Natalie. I'm sorry. No, Mandy, I, I want to make sure that we don't forget to share with the audience how you came up with the name Canaries. Yeah, so the name Canaries comes from Canary in the coal mine. Just like canaries were taken into coal mines to help ensure that the workplace was healthy, that's the same thing we're doing. We're helping to be that first alert for companies. And so had a professor, Lonnie Guineer, she wrote a book, Miner's Canary. And so when we were thinking about what to name the company, we just felt like that was the perfect name just because a lot of DI issues are hard for people to put their fingers on, just like when we think about those coal miners going in there with the gas being colorless, odorless, and tasteless. It's the same thing. People know they have challenges when it comes to DI, but they can't exactly put their finger on, on where they should be focused. And so we are that first alert for them. It's a perfect and thoughtful name. I really love that and appreciate it. So Mandy, you know, the pandemic has allowed a lot of companies to pause and reevaluate the way they run and lead their businesses. Do you think post-pandemic businesses will be more likely to invest in DEI initiatives? I would say particularly after last summer, right? And and the global movement that we really saw. Yeah, absolutely. Post-pandemic, I believe businesses will continue to invest in DEI initiatives. What we saw, just looking at the trajectory of our company as well, before George Floyd's death, What we saw is a lot of companies were telling us they had pipeline issues mm-hmm. or they were focused on just the talent acquisition aspects of DEI. And we've always been focused on the system-wide approach in, in the metrics and the analytics. And so we saw the discourse around that change where people started to talk about this from a institutional inequity and a systems perspective. Many CEOs saw DI previously as a nice to have, or maybe it was something that was housed within HR, but we see now many chief diversity officers reporting directly to CEOs. What we've seen is that chief diversity officers and other diversity leadership positions have exploded in growth that we've seen chief diversity officers as the fastest growing C-suite title in 2020, growing 84%. I did not know that. That's amazing. Oh, yes. What we've seen is that CEOs understand the effects that DEI has on financial returns, on their business, on employee engagement, on absenteeism, on customer success and service as well, and then what it means to their employees. And I think, you know, if you are going to continue to want to be an employer of choice and to attract that talent, that you have to have DEI as a priority. What we've seen is that in recent surveys, 83% of Gen Z, Gen yeah. Z candidates are saying that a company's commitment to diversity and inclusion is one of the most important things that they're looking at when choosing an employer. Mm-hmm. So I think organizations realize that if they are not having this as a priority, that they're not going to be able to attract younger job seekers and especially underrepresented talent. When we're looking at the kind of metrics and surveying that we see around Black Americans, 95% of them 
according to a recent Harris poll and survey done with Just Capital, say that this is something that's important for them uh, as far as when they're looking at employers. Good. Well, go Gen Z. I have a Gen Z daughter. All right. So, you know, you are a unicorn, Mandy, I guess. (laughs) We can honestly say that. The venture capital ecosystem that many startups operate in faces its own biases and inequities. And Black founders make up only 1% of those receiving VC money and Black women make up only a small fraction of that. For other founders and future founders listening to our podcast, can you tell us how you overcame this challenge and what we can collectively do to improve these statistics? Yeah, you know, the same systems that we're trying to kind of grapple with and and make better in corporate America, those same inequities exist, as you noted, within the VC and startup ecosystem. So, I think there's been a lot of work that's been done, same thing over the past year on, okay, do we really have to have warm introductions, right? We're seeing a lot of Mm -hmm. venture capitalists kind of change some of their systems and their processes. We're also seeing some VC firms make intentional efforts to bring others to co-invest with them, funds that are managed Mm -hmm. by diverse fund managers. And so there's a lot of things that we can do from a systems perspective to improve the ratios and some of the funding gaps we see. We know that talent doesn't reside in just one gender or racial group or any kind of demographic. So if we're looking at our systems and we're seeing that only 1% of funding is going to Black founders, we know that there's some systems that need to change. So, you know, I've been really encouraged by some of the the changes that we've seen. And I think we all have a part to play in it. And that also goes to when we start thinking about the LPs that invest in various venture capital funds, right? It's having those LPs ask the questions, I think is really important. And we've started to see that more and ensuring that we make sure that the processes that are in place are fair. You know, there's been a lot of research that shows that VCs ask male entrepreneurs more promotion-oriented questions, and they ask women entrepreneurs more prevention-oriented questions. By that, I mean promotion-oriented questions focus on hopes and achievements and mm-hmm. advancements, mm-hmm. while women entrepreneurs usually receive more prevention-oriented questions that focus on safety and responsibility and security. And so if you're talking with someone and it's all around risk and what can go wrong, of course, that is likely to produce not as many investment as, as opposed to talking with someone around promotion or into questions. And so there's been a lot of research on this. And so one of the things that me and my co-founders have done is trying to make sure as we start to receive those prevention-oriented questions, that we turn them into promotion-oriented responses so that we are able to really capture the full magnitude and market opportunity of our business. So smart. Makes perfect sense. So let's talk about Canaries. You've had a a, a great start to the year, lots of attention, fundraising. What about next steps? What are your plans to grow Canaries and how are you working to stay ahead of the curve, if you will? Yeah, so we're really excited about what we've been able to do to help organizations benchmark some of their initiatives. That is something that we think has really been able to distinguish canaries. And one of the things that we've been able to do 
is start to work with some of our companies from a global perspective. We know that DEI is not just a U.S. issue. It's a global one. And so we have been able to do our first global launch. And so we're really, really excited about that and our ability to, to continue to work with our corporate partners on a global perspective. And so, you know, one of the things that we think is so key and critical is ensuring that every employee is involved in the process. And so we want to make sure that we really understand the lived experiences and challenges of employees. And so one of the things we've also been able to do is deploy our assessments with SMS text messaging to ensure that the entire employee base, be it out in the field or manufacturing facilities, retail stores, are also able to participate. And so that's something that we launched earlier this year as well. So those are two exciting updates that we're really excited about. To think of inclusion from that perspective, you know, to also to make sure that we're including everyone in whatever method is easiest for them to to receive the communication is very very important. And yeah, we had we recently had another founder who whose mission it is to really make sure that those who are deskless workers can have the same access to some of these tools that do build a more inclusive. A workplace. So that's fantastic. And, you know, one of the great things about your company, Mandy, is that you do help so many companies create DEI initiatives in hiring and and retention and diagnosing these institutional inequities in the office through an analytics platform that incorporates artificial intelligence. Can you provide any tips or stories for leveraging technologies such as artificial intelligence? Yeah, you know, a lot of times artificial intelligence gets a bad rap, especially because there are a lot of biases that can be exacerbated through the AI. And so it's so important that you're thinking about the bias and how it can be crept into the system as you're building it. And so because we're a DEI focus, we think about that a lot and and using a lot of the methodology behind any of the AI machine learning that we're putting in place. So I guess what I would say is don't be afraid of it, right? That you you need to ask the right questions. You need to make sure that you understand and ensure that that kind of bias was, was thought about when building the systems. But it's been able to help leverage so much big data, help to really reveal insights that our company partners wouldn't have been able to reveal otherwise just because of the scope of the data that we're analyzing and the magnitude of it. Let me give you an example. You know, we had a company that we're working with that had over a hundred thousand employee feedback. They were doing employee engagement surveys. We see that a lot Mm -hmm. where they'll have free textual feedback and those questions set there for over a year because no one had the time and the ability to go and read all of those. What a waste, right? Right. And so we were able to put that through our technology, analyze that over 100,000 data points and bring out insights that the employees had for, for the organization to make the company better. So I would say, don't be afraid to to utilize the technology because it really does allow you to hear your employees, to take their feedback into account and to make fundamental changes within your organization. One of the things too is when you look at some of the 
benchmarking and predictive analytics. And, you know, we track data on over a thousand organizations. These are things that just would not be humanly possible without leveraging mm -hmm. AI machine learning and some of the other technologies that we have. So I would encourage folks to always think about ways to innovate and to utilize technology to advance their organizations forward. Those are perfect examples, Mandy. And you know what we sometimes like to say is think of artificial intelligence like augmented intelligence, right? It's the tool. It's a tool and it still needs human eyes and you have to watch the inputs, particularly to mitigate against the historical biases and watch the outputs. But it is, it's, it's a tool that allows us to do things that we couldn't otherwise do. So I love how Canaries is really leveraging AI to, to meet its mission. So Mandy, let me ask you, who are your greatest ambassadors right now or any big wins uh, lately to kind of highlight these champions? So we have a fantastic network of people that have been advocating for Canaries. You know, we have some amazing investors like Google, Rise of the Rest, Zeal Capital Partners. They've been extremely committed to helping us succeed. We've also been in a number of accelerator programs that have also invested, like Morgan Stanley's Multicultural Innovation Lab, Google for Startups, Black Founders Accelerator, as, as well as Unreasonable's Future of Work program. And great partners as well, like Gunderson, who has helped us on our, our, our seed financing. And we look forward to continuing to work with him as we prepare for our, our Series A. But we also have a number of strategic partners that have really helped us as we think about how to tackle these issues from uh, corporate landscape. So as we think about the National Urban League has been a partner of ours for the past two years, as well as okay. Inroads, National Society of Black Engineers, Prospanica, Ascend. These are great partners for us that have really been on the forefront of how do we advance diversity, equity, inclusion within corporate America. And so one of the big wins that I think we would really want to also highlight, and this is one of our newer partners, is we are collaborating with the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce on their ATL racial equity initiative. Mm -hmm. And so we will be working with them to track and benchmark various corporate DI initiatives, and they will be reporting these out to their company partners, again, to help them benchmark and understand how they can improve DI within their workplace. Wonderful. Wow. That's a lot of really critical and important ambassadors and champions. So let's look to the future, next five years or so. What changes do you think are on the horizon in connection with the work that you're, you're doing for so many companies? So I think as we think, where is DI going? I believe that the world will continue to make more progress and DEI will be seen as a business imperative for companies. We're seeing a lot more shareholder lawsuits or shareholder proposals, requests for audits from companies. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of different regulatory initiatives come down the pike as well. We're, when we look at the SEC and some of the additional human capital disclosures that are now required with the SEC, we believe that's going to incorporate a lot of additional DI reporting as well. Yes. And so we just feel that when we're thinking about metrics and analytics around DEI and look at what leading industry groups like the Business Roundtable are saying, which are calling for disclosure, right? Voluntary disclosure of DI metrics, that this is, there's a lot of discussion on 
will this last, right? Was this a blip? And I think what we've seen is it isn't a blip, that this is going to last, that we're going to continue to see that organizations invest in DEI and that their employees and the general public is really going to demand it. And so I think we will see more and more companies having the reporting, the voluntary disclosures, and that we will see continue to see DEI job openings increase. And more and more organizations have staff that is spending full time on these initiatives and making their strategy. I totally agree with you. And I hope that we're both Right. <laughs> so, all right, Mandy. So one of the things that we always like to do on the podcast is to share practical tips with other founders and leaders in the technology sector. What are some of the lessons or tips that you wish you had known earlier in your journey? I would encourage anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur to make sure that they have money set aside it was two and a half years before I was able to take a salary. Mm. And I had envisioned one year, you know, I knew it was going right. to take some time, but I think you really have to be prepared for the long haul of going more than one year without a salary. And so I think it's important that people really start to think about that and think about how does their life need to be as far as maybe downsizing or things like that Mm -hmm. in order to pursue entrepreneurship. But I would also encourage people to never lose sight of their vision and mission. With entrepreneurship, sometimes things can feel impossible and it can be some very, very lonely days and nights. But I think it's so important that you don't give up on yourself, that you have that tenacity and grit because it's just part of the journey. And if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Well said. Yes. Grit is such an important, more now than ever before being tenacious and having grit and following. I mean, for you, really, you, you're following your passion and it it shows, it shows in everything that you've done to grow and lead your company. So Mandy, I always like to end by telling the audience a fun fact or story or a joke, favorite movie, drink of choice, you name it. And so I'll start by sharing and and saying that I'm a first generation North American and my first language was Spanish. Is there anything you're willing to share with our audience, Mandy? Well, I guess I'll share a couple things. One is I'm a huge foodie. I love to travel. So the past year has been extremely difficult for me because I could not go out to eat and couldn't travel anywhere. And I guess the other fun fact I would say is that I'm a huge UT football fan. So had season tickets for almost 15 years now. And so last year as well was the first year that I missed going to the game. So looking forward to being able to see things open up again. Oh, Longhorns. <laughs> I love that. All right. So as we return to the workplace, Canary shows us how leveraging new technology can help companies improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace and bring about lasting change. Thanks so much for talking with us today, Mandy. We wish you and Canary's continued success. Thank you so much, Natalie. And thanks everyone for joining us. You've just listened to the Future Work Playbook. This podcast series is brought to you by Gunderson Detmer. 
the world's number one law firm representing venture capital funds and high-growth companies. Join Natalie Pierce on our next episode as she and her guests help prepare your organization for the future. Please subscribe to the Future Work Playbook.